Welcome to More Than Money. It is August 28th, the last weekend in August already. This is Alyssa Young. I am your host today while Jean is out of town, so I'm flying solo. Um, I'll be your personal financial advisor. I do not have 780 years of experience, but I have a little bit, and I'm going to do my best to give you a solid two hours of information, maybe a little bit of entertainment. Uh, We have a special show lined up for you today. I did not change the intro music in Gene's absence. I thought that would really throw him for a loop, and maybe all of you too, if you didn't hear that familiar song. Um, I'll have to think about what my intro music would be if I throw something different in there next time I'm on my own. We are broadcasting live here in Whitehall Township. You might be listening on WAEB 790 AM or maybe online. iHeartRadio streams our broadcast crystal clear no matter where you are. You can find the button to listen to us live online right on our homepage, morethanmoneyonline.com. So if you're listening on the radio and it's a little scruzzy or you know somebody who would benefit from listening to this show outside of the Lehigh Valley, you can send them to morethanmoneyonline.com and look for the red Listen Now button that magically appears on the homepage between 8 and 10 a.m. on Saturdays. So I have lots of stuff planned, but anytime during the next couple of hours, you can give us a call if you have a question or a comment at 610-720-7900. Or you can email me. It's alyssa at askmtm.com. That's A-L-Y-S-S-A at askmtm.com. I'd love to hear from you. Just take it easy on me. Like I said, I'm not Jean, but I'll do my best to help you out. So last night was the first uh, night of high school football in the Lehigh Valley, and I think I've warned you over the last couple of weeks that I'm going to be an annoying football mom for the pa- for the next couple of months. Um, my son is on the Nazareth Area High School football team, and this is he's a junior. This is his first varsity season, and they opened their season with a 57 to zero win over East Stroudsburg North. John's on the other side of me over here pumping his fist in the air because John and I are both Nazareth alumni. So not only am I proud of my son, but we're proud of our school. So congratulations to Nazareth. Um, the, The kids had a great time and the coaches did an awesome job of getting the JV players into the mix. They played the whole second half. So the starters um, had that huge lead going into halftime and then they stood on the sidelines and cheered on the, uh, the younger teammates. And um, that was really nice to see. So everybody got some varsity playing time. Um, My son said after the game, the coaches were happy with how they did, but they also warned the boys that not all of their games are going to look like that. So uh, I have to say East Stroudsburg North, uh, you know, we knew going into it that it was kind of a mismatch. But the fans and the players kept their enthusiasm the entire game, which was really awesome. So when they had their first first down on offense late in the second half, um, the fans on the other side were cheering them on. And I thought, you know, that's so great. They still had so much uh energy and support for their team even with the score the score the way it was so um great way to kick off the season and I'm sure I'll be talking about (laughs) Nazareth football often uh, between now and the end of October um 
Also this time of year, it's almost time for school to be back in session. So the first day for most of our public schools in the Lehigh Valley is on Monday. Um, hopefully a little bit more normal than last year as far as what it's like to go back to school. So just want to wish a wonderful year for all of the students, uh, their families, you know, their parents, the teachers, and all the school support staff. I know there's still some challenges, but um, that normal routine is usually kind of good to get into once we get over the hump of, you know, getting used to it. So um, I hope everybody has a great school year. So let me tell you a little bit about what we have in store today. We have a couple of special guests lined up. Um, at 9 o'clock, we will welcome retired Army Major Ed Polito to the show. And his interview is connected to our Folds of Honor Radiothon, which I'm going to tell you more about in just a moment. You might remember uh, Major Polito from last year at this time. Gene interviewed him on the show before. Um, and then at 9.30, we're going to talk about the real estate market in the Lehigh Valley with Frank Rinaldi. And he's a realtor with Century 21 Pinnacle. So we're going to discuss buying and selling in the Lehigh Valley and also investing in real estate. So that might be an interesting conversation for any of you who are, you know, considering making a change or if you're concerned about you know, the equity in your home or getting a mortgage or uh, anything like that. Frank will be full of great information for us, and it would be interesting to hear about it from his perspective. Um, I will, you know, in full disclosure, I, I know Frank. I've known him for a long time. We went to school together, and he lives in my neighborhood. Um, but he's really um, familiar with what's happening in the Lehigh Valley, so I thought he'd be a great resource for all of you. Um, so I told you I would talk about more about the Folds of Honor Radiothon. So let me give you some details about that. Um, the week after next is when these special events will happen. Um, more Than Money is helping to raise money for Folds of Honor. And this is a national organization, but we're supporting the Eastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey chapter specifically to raise money to provide scholarships to the family members of fallen and disabled military service members. So it's spouses and children. Um, I actually have some information, more specifics about the scholarships themselves that I'll share a little later when we talk to Major Polito. Um, but we are doing a radiothon to help raise money to provide these scholarships. Last year, the Radiothon raised $59,700. And of course, we want to top it this year because we're competitive like that. So we're hoping to raise more than $60,000 this year. And we do this in remembrance of 9-11. Um, it's a good time, you know, to do something to give back. And so that's our plan. Now, here's the schedule. So the Radiothon is actually going over almost an entire week. It's going to start on Tuesday, September 7th, and there will be live broadcasts that day and then every day throughout the rest of the week. So 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, Radiothon shows are being broadcast t Tuesday, September 7th through Saturday, September 11th. Um, these live broadcasts from 5 to 10 um, are actually also open to the public from 8 a.m. to noon. So 
from 8 a.m. to noon, you can go to these places on each of these days, um, even though the Radiothon will start at 5 a.m. And, and end at 10 a.m. Okay, so Tuesday the 7th, we're going to be at Vinart Dealerships on State Avenue in Emmaus. On Wednesday, September 8th, it's at the Hotel Bethlehem on Main Street in Bethlehem. On Thursday, September 9th, it's at the Ritz Barbecue on North 17th Street in Allentown. On Friday, September 10th, it's at MTM Financial Group. That is our world headquarters, as Jean calls it, on Hanoverville Road. We're in Lower Nazareth Township, right between Nazareth and Bethlehem. And on Saturday, September 11th, this show um, will be broadcast live from Relic Hunter Firing Line in Copley. So you can join us at any one of those locations. You can find all of those details that I just shared on morethanmoneyonline.com. There is a banner uh, at the top of a website that has a link to our event page. And not only does it have all those um, specifics about the Radiothon, it also has a link on it where you can donate to support Folds of Honor. So you can make a donation that will, you know, your money will go toward these scholarships um, so take a look at that page for more details, and we will talk more about Folds of Honor uh, a little later when Major Polito joins us. Um, you can join us in person for those events. You can support, you know, pledge money in advance or during the events. And um, you'll also find on our on our website some interviews uh, or like videos about people that you know were kind of tied to this and people who support Folds of Honor. So keep listening for more um, over you know even next week as well, and then over that week to September seventh to eleventh to hear some more stories, and um, and and find out ways that you can help. So that's Folds of Honor. Um, so we have some good stuff coming up later, and in the meantime, I would like to answer your questions and share some information that I hope you'll find helpful. So again, I'll give you the phone number where you can call uh, 610-720-7900 or email me at alyssa at askmtm.com. So we'll get started with an email or two. I have some stuff we got coming into the office this week that I think um, some of you might find helpful as well. Here's an email that says, my daughter just started a new job that gave her a Roth 403B. I told her she should take the money from her old 401k and transfer it to the Roth. Is there a way to do this correctly? All right, so that's coming from a dad who trying to help out his daughter, which is awesome. And he's got the right idea. Um, but there's a couple of details that she needs to know. Um, first is his daughter needs to determine whether that 403B at her new employer will allow an incoming rollover. So that's what that would be called when you're taking a chunk of money from another source into a 403B or a 401K. That would be an incoming rollover. So some plans allow it and some don't. So she should check either the plan documents that she received or contact her plan administrator to ask if an incoming rollover uh, is accepted. Because, um, of course, um, a 401k or a 403b, the way that they typically work is you're, add, you're contributing to it kind of in real time from your paycheck. So that lump sum, you know, bringing it in would, would be a rollover that may or may not be allowed. Um, if it is allowed... 
moving money from a 401k into a Roth 403b would actually require a Roth conversion. So the money that goes into a 401k is pre-tax. It wasn't. It was taken out of her income, and she didn't pay income taxes on it yet. Money that goes into a Roth is taxed. So she didn't pay tax on it yet. So in order to put it into the Roth, she needs to pay income taxes on that money. So she's converting it from the 401k to a Roth. Um, that's going to have a tax liability associated with it. So that's one important thing to remember: is uh, whatever that amount is will be subject to income taxes um, in order to make that conversion. At, if she's young, you know, it might make sense to do that now and then allow that money to then compound and grow um, for the next several decades until she retires. So it's just one of those things you kind of have to bite the bullet and do it. Um, another thing to keep in mind, so if she can't um, do this incoming rollover, she can still turn that money into Roth assets that are going to grow tax-free. A way to do that would be to roll that 401k into an IRA, um, you know, outside of her employer account, like her own IRA account. And then from that IRA, she can convert it into her own Roth IRA. Again, separate account outside of her employer plan. Um, And she can do it over time so you can spread out the tax bill. I did that. As a matter of fact, my first job I was at for about a decade and I had a 401k. I rolled it into an IRA and over time converted it into a Roth. So my tax liability, you know, I kind of took that tax hit in pieces rather than a big chunk all at once and um, took, you know, until the whole balance was converted to a Roth. So that's another option that this gentleman's um, daughter could consider um, if it's not a big tax bill, she could do it all at once. If she wants to say convert, you know, 2000 3000 5000 a year, whatever she wants to do, um, just be aware that she'll owe tax on it when it comes time to do her um, income tax return. So um, hopefully that is helpful. If you have any other questions about um, Roths and traditional IRAs and 401ks, um, we are always happy to help folks with those answers. So send us your questions or your comments on on that. Um, Again, the phone number here to call is 610-720-7900, or you can send me an email at alyssa at askmtm.com. All right. So we have another email here. This one says, my sister, age 63, just lost her husband. So He died at age 60. They were both working at the time of his death. She would like to retire soon and begin collecting Social Security. She does have some IRA money from which she can draw and will be receiving a pension from her job. Is it possible for her to begin collecting a reduced Social Security benefit based upon her own work record and then upon her full retirement age, switch to a widow's benefit based upon her deceased husband's work record. His benefit is higher than hers. We value your input. And this is signed from a loyal viewer slash listener. 
absolutely this loyal viewer listener I think has learned something from Gene over the years um, and I learned about this from Mark Basak. He is our Social Security and Medicare specialist who comes into our office and provides invaluable information to our clients. Um, so I learned about it sitting in a meeting with Mark with somebody who kind of fits in a very similar scenario. Um, what Mark recommended to that client of mine was to make an appointment with the Social Security office to discuss a widow's benefit. So, you know, her sister could call and say, I would like to talk about, you know, getting my widow's benefit. And during that conversation, she could request a benefit matrix. And that will allow her to compare her own Social Security benefit and her survivor benefit. And she can switch between the two. So based on the information in this message and based on what I learned from Mark during um, you know, my meeting that I was referring to is that it's very likely that the best bet is for her to start taking her own benefit and then, just like described, switch to her husband's when she's at age 67 and she'll receive his full amount at that time and it'll be a higher amount and then that will be the amount she receives every month for the rest of her life. So her own benefit would grow until she's age 70. That's when it would max out. But the survivor benefit won't ever exceed 100%, um, and that will be reached at age 67. So at 67 is, a time when, is the time when it would make sense to switch to that survivor benefit because it's not going to get any larger beyond that point. So she can switch to take that one um, when it's at its full amount. So hopefully that's helpful. Mark has all kinds of great strategies um, like this one that he recommends to people to, you know, advise when it makes sense to take the Social Security, when it makes sense to apply for it, um, how to, you know, kind of juggle your options. And um, his his he knows all the ins and outs. So his mind works really well when it's like, okay, let's look at this puzzle and um, which pieces fit in in where so if you need some help like that um, you can reach out to us I'll give you information at the end of the show about how to reach us at the more than money uh, headquarters and we will gladly schedule an appointment for you to meet with Mark and you can pick his brain to get um, good help just like that all right so let's see I have another email here this one says my husband and I live in Easton and we own a condo in Easton. We are PA residents. We also own a house in The Villages, Florida. I recently was told that we have to have a lawyer from Florida write a will stating that our two children are to receive the house in Florida so it does not go into probate in Florida, which will take a few years to settle. Do you know what is the law? The will that we have now simply states that everything we own will be given to our children equally when we die. So this is another example of something I learned about from one of our brilliant specialists. <laughs> I um, sat in a meeting with Keith Stroll, who is an estate planning attorney, um, who um, he was helping a client who's local with something very, very similar. Um, so this is what I learned from, from Keith. Estates are administered in the state where the person dies. But when you own property in another state, there is 
and it's what's called ancillary probate is opened in every state where the decedent owns property. So, for example, these folks live in Easton. If they die in Pennsylvania, that's where their estate is administered. But because they own a piece of property in Florida, there will be ancillary probate opened in Florida. So putting the house in a will does not avoid probate. Okay, so this email is suggesting that if they have a Florida lawyer write a will, um, that it would avoid probate. That's not the case. Um, if anything in a will still needs to go through probate. One thing I also can correct, it shouldn't take a few years to settle. Yes, it takes often a few months. It can take a few years if there are people dragging their feet or any kind of disputes or anything like that. But it shouldn't take a few years. Um, However, there is a way to speed up the process. Um, You could put that house in Florida into a trust, and that would avoid the probate altogether. When you and your husband are gone... Your children, as successor trustees, would automatically get possession without needing to go through probate. Um, this is similar to you've heard you know us talk about other ways to avoid probate uh, on lots of different assets would be to establish a beneficiary. So, for example, when you have an IRA, when you put your kids on there as beneficiaries, you avoid probate. This is another example of that. It's one of those direct paths to inheritance um, would be to to put the house into a trust. So we can connect you with that estate planning specialist we partner with who could help you set up a trust. There is, you know, an expense associated with that. um, But that would be, you know, the best way to get around the whole probate issue um, in your situation. So I hope that that helps you. Just a little bit. All right. Um, We have a caller who was too shy to speak on the radio, but this lovely young lady had a question. Um, And she was saying she was looking at a three-year annuity that would pay 1.7%. And she would like to know, are there any better conservative options uh, for this? So thank you for calling uh, to ask your question. Um, There are... Lots of options, and we have options from conservative all the way up to aggressive and everything in between. So an annuity is certainly a good uh, contender for you because um, you can have that guaranteed rate of return in, in certain types of annuities. Other types of annuities don't have a guaranteed rate of return, but they do offer some protections. So... Um, there aren't a lot of things that have a guarantee associated with them. So I think that's probably the best place to start. There are other conservative options um, where your return could potentially be more than 1.7%, but not necessarily guaranteed. So one of the things that we would do in talking to you about these options would be let's balance your need for a guarantee versus your need for, I just want to make sure that it's safe, but I don't necessarily need, you know, a specified income stream. Um, we should have a talk about it in more detail. I would welcome you to give us a call and we could schedule an appointment to talk with one of our advisors about this because, we, you know, Gene always says it depends. Um, when you say better conservative options, 
it depends on what is your primary goal. Is your primary goal you need X dollar, you know, X amount of dollars every month to maybe meet some kind of financial obligation? Um, or is it just that you're nervous and you don't want to be, you know, susceptible to the market ups and downs? So weighing those, you know, needs um, and those priorities of yours, we could help you decide whether or not that 1.7% annuity is your best option or if there's something better that you can do. Um, another thing to know about annuities, you know, there's other uh, like features, if you will, they're called riders that exist. So that's another factor we would consider is, you know, do you want that death benefit rider, for example? Um, so I would encourage you to talk. We actually, I keep talking about our specialists, but that's because they're awesome. Um, we have an annuity specialist as well who does what's called an annuity audit. And he could take a look at those terms for you and say, what are your objectives? These are the contract details for this particular option. Do they line up? Or is there something better that you, you know, may, or something else you could consider that maybe offers something a little bit different, um, you know, we can compare and contrast. So I, um, you know, it's, if this feels like it fits you, that could work. If you're not sure if it's exactly right, talk to us. We'll help you figure out um, which way to go based on your needs. Um, so I hope that helps you. Feel free to give us a call and we'll talk about it in more detail. So we're going to go into our first break. I've made it for the first half hour, so that's a victory right there. <laughs> Give us a call at 610-720-7900 or send me an email. We'll answer more questions and share some more information after this break. Welcome back to More Than Money. This is your host today, Alyssa Young. I'm your personal financial advisor while Jean is out gallivanting somewhere out west. Uh, no, I'm happy to give Jean a break and step in. Uh, during our break, we were just talking about what song I could use instead of Jean's Natalie Merchant song. Uh, so, you know, hey, if you have a suggestion... Obviously, I want to hear it. I love music. I love all kinds of music, and I can't put my finger on what song I would choose um, as my my little intro. So I'm going to give that some thought, but if you have any uh, ideas, let me know. Uh, I would be happy to try to answer your questions if you call 610-720-7900. John will answer the phone, and he will take a little bit of info from you and put you on hold and we'll put you on the air and you can chat with me or you can send me an email at Alyssa at askmtm.com. I have an email I'm going to answer in just a moment. Um, first, I just want to remind you of some stuff that's coming up. 
um, at about 9 o'clock. We're going to do our first of two interviews today, um, and that's going to help us kind of kick off our Folds of Honor Radiothon. So stay tuned at 9 o'clock while I chat with retired U.S. Army Major Ed Polito, and he's going to tell us about his service, but also specifically about what Folds of Honor means to him and to the people of this nation. Folds of Honor provides scholarships to family members of injured or um, fallen military service members. And at 9.30, we'll talk with a realtor in the Lehigh Valley. Frank Rinaldi is a real estate agent with Century 21 Pinnacle, and he's going to talk with us about this crazy housing market in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, So I'm going to answer this email that I just received, and then I have something else I want to share with you, but we'll start with this. Um, I have an email from a gentleman who said that he left a job after 17 years. He says, I contributed to a 403B during that time. My new job has a 401k. Would leaving the 403B alone and starting the new 401k be ill-advised? What would be a better strategy? Well, thank you so much for your question. And it's very similar to uh, one that I answered earlier about um, a man whose daughter had a 403, a 401k, and now she has a 403b that's a Roth, and we talked about what her options are. So you definitely have some options. Um, For starters, I would say starting your new 401k at your new job, especially if you get an employer match, is a good idea. So I wouldn't want you to, to bypass that opportunity to be saving part of your earnings in a new 401k and taking advantage of that employer match. I call that free money. We don't want to turn away free money. So um, starting that is a great idea. Now, as far as what happens with your 403b, you do have options there. So one is, yes, you can leave it where it is. Um, it You know, you at some time chose an investment strategy for that, whether you chose specific funds or a target date fund, whatever it might be. Um, you still have the ability to keep it there that same way to you can change how it's invested even though you don't work there anymore so if that's doing well and you're comfortable with with it you can leave it there it won't be you won't be adding to it your former employer won't be adding to it but the money that's there will continue to hopefully grow um you know in in accordance with whatever uh whatever strategy you had selected when you when you opened it up or again as you modify it over time so you'll still have access to that You can leave it alone, start a new 401k. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But you don't have to leave it there. You can roll it into an IRA. Okay, so an IRA and a 401k have similar tax structures uh, in that the money that goes in um, has a tax deduction associated with it. But then as you take the money out of a 403b or an IRA, that's when you pay tax on it. Um, similarly, from both types of accounts, you have what's called required minimum distributions once you reach 72 and a half. So they work the same way where at that age, you'll have to start withdrawing money from it. Um, so those are some things, you know, they, they, they work they work very similarly. Um, you can roll that 403B into an IRA and maybe here's some reasons to consider doing that or not do that. Um Typically, a 401k or a 403b does have a very low fee structure. So 
you don't have ex- the expenses um, there as you might if you're hiring someone to manage an IRA outside of a 403B or a 401K. But on the other side, then you're kind of like the downside of that is you're like self-directing at that point. You are choosing how that 403B is invested if you leave it where it is. It's up to you to make those decisions about what funds it, it, it uses or if you change your investment strategy. Whereas if you put it into an IRA, you can self-direct it. You can still make those decisions or you might want to partner with an advisor who can guide you there and make some recommendations or even control it on your behalf, which is what we do at MTM Financial Group. We help people manage those investments so that they don't need to make those decisions. They don't need to know what funds make sense for them and what allocation strategy makes sense for them. We talk through that through that with them, weigh the pros and cons to fit their needs. And so you have that benefit of a, an ex, a, a specialist, a, somebody who um, is a professional in that area who can really guide you that way. So when you roll it into the IRA, you might have some more support than you would if you leave it in the 403B, but you don't have to take it out. Um, I guess I just want to go back to that. Do I start the 401k with my new employer and just emphasize that? Yes, that's a good idea. Not only um, because of the potential for the employer match, but also on the income tax side, any money that you take out of your paycheck and put into that 401k, you're not paying income tax on. So you've been accustomed to that for the last 17 years. All of those contributions um, to your 403b were not taxed. Well, now, um, you know, if you were to stop contributing, you would see a difference in your, you know, your income tax liability that that you that might surprise you. So you want to continue to um, to do that. Keep saving. Um, let that money uh, compound and and grow over time. And um, you'll be glad that you did when retirement comes along. So I hope that helps you. If there's something that, um, you know, you want clarification on or something I missed, feel free to send me another email or give us a call. Um, Definitely your head's in the right place there. And it's great that you've been contributing and taking advantage of that um, while you're working. So one of the things that I enjoy the most, maybe the thing I enjoy the most uh, about this job is meeting people new people and hearing their stories. Um, it's pretty fascinating how different uh, people can be, their their experiences and, and their situations. And I have been blessed to meet a particular family that has really kind of enriched um, my life. Um, just to give you another example of a, a neat story, like one of my clients uh, survived a plane crash and he was a pilot. Uh, in a small plane, and he told me the story about what happened and how he recovered. It was incredible. And then I I met these folks, another client with a remarkable background, who actually published a book about it. And I just finished reading it a couple of weeks ago, and it was eye-opening, so I wanted to share it with you. Um, This book is about John Lahutsky, and he gave me permission to talk about, about this on the radio and disclose that um, his mother and John are, are clients of mine. Um, so John grew up, he was born in um, and grew up in, in Russia. He was born prematurely with cerebral palsy. So he was in a baby house or an orphanage, a state-run uh, orphanage in Russia. He also spent some time in a psychiatric hospital because they assessed him um, as being an imbecile. That's how they labeled 
him in that in that orphanage. So he spent time in a in a psychiatric hospital. This book tells the story of of John, whose name was Vanya in Russian at the time, and um, he has a big heart and a bright smile, and he couldn't be anything like more opposite of an imbecile. He's very sharp, and um, he connected with these people that met him in this orphanage, the people who worked there, people who came in as like volunteers, and he fortunately was discovered, if you will, by the wife of a British reporter who was in Russia on assignment. His name is Alan Phillips, and his wife Sarah was was in Russia too and just kind of keeping busy and, and involved in her community while her husband was working. And she met John while he was in this baby house, number 10, and got authorities' attention like she and these other people who connected with John because of his warm personality started to, you know, recognize that he didn't deserve the 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 treatment and the labeling, you know, the 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 classification that he was given and and he was neglected. All these babies are neglected. Um it's so sad. Reading this book was it was really hard to um believe that babies and children are treated the way that they were and it was hard. It was hard, but fortunately for me, all throughout this book, I knew that there was a happy ending. <laughs> so that made it a lot easier for me to accept because I knew that uh, my client Paula Lahutsky of Bethlehem Township uh, adopted him and brought him to the United States and raised him here, where he went to Freedom High School, and they have a wonderful life together. And um, John helped this reporter, Alan, write this book about his experience. It's called The Boy from Baby House 10. Um, it also talks about what happened to his sister. And um, it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it, it made me feel uh, almost ignorant uh, that I didn't know that these things are still happening, you know, t- today. Um, but I'm blessed to have met John and Paula and um, and that they shared this with me. So, I was glad I got to read this book. Uh, I gave it to Gene. He's going to read it. He loves to read. So he has that book on his nightstand now. He's going to be reading it next. Um, But I just wanted to pass that on to you if it's something that you'd be uh, interested in learning about. A Bethlehem Township family who had this experience in this background. Check out The Boy from Baby House 10. My understanding is that it's actually um, out of print now, but you can still find it online. Um, You can read the ebook. There are, I think, a few new copies still available for purchase. It's, it's on Amazon. And, of course, there are used copies for sale as well. So um, check it out. And um, I hope you find it as uh, inspirational. I guess you could say it's inspirational because John kept such a positive um, outlook and um, just attitude despite how he was treated. And, um, you know, the odds were against him. So he's, he's pretty impressive. So I want to thank John and Paula for coming into my life and and sharing that book with me. Um, I'll remind you that you can give me a call or send me an email if you have any questions you would like me to talk about this morning. It's at 610-720-7900 or alyssa at askmtm.com. In the meantime, I will share another email that we received uh, through our website It says, I am 64 and recently was laid off with a severance 
until July. So that we got this email, I guess it's a couple months old. It's now the end of August, but this will still apply. So uh, this person was laid off for the severance until July. It says, I'm not sure if I'm ready for retirement yeah. yet, although I did file for Social Security benefits and just started getting that. I have only about 75000 in a 401k remaining with my employer's administrator. Can Jean help me figure out a plan that makes sense? I know I need to eventually get the 401k out and something done with it. Okay, so to answer the question of can Jean help me figure out a plan that makes sense? Absolutely. Any one of our financial advisors can help you plan. Um, the first thing we would do is compare your spending needs to your Social Security benefit that you talked about starting and any other income source that you might have. And then we need to talk about whether retirement is feasible or do you need additional income. So, you know, you said you're not sure if you're ready for retirement. Maybe that means you're open to, you know, some kind of part-time work that will just kind of help you bridge, you know, that gap and bring in some more money so that you're not, you know, dipping into to your 401k right away or, or something like that. So we would definitely help you do that assessment um, and, and look at where you stand right now and what makes the most sense. Now, as for that 401k, you mentioned you need to get it out and get something done with it. Well, we've talked about that a little bit already today with a couple other questions. You can keep it where it is. You don't have to move it. Um, you have access to that money. It's still yours. It's still invested. You can still change how it's invested. Um, take out what you know what you need when you need it, um, or you can roll it over into an IRA. Um, I can explain a little bit about what that process would look like too. So we talked already about you know we have to talk to kind of disclose the fact that when you roll it into an IRA, there might be higher um, expenses, um, and, and you either have to decide you're going to self-direct it or you're going to need you know some some professional help. Um, but the way that it would work, let's say you came to us and said, can you help me with this 401k? Um, I want to move it and do something different with it. What we would do is um, open an, an IRA for you. And Charles Schwab is our custodian. So we, you would have a Charles Schwab account that is a, a rollover IRA. And then you would contact your plan administrator to take the money from the 401k to put into your Charles Schwab account. And what's really important there is whether you have them send it directly to Charles Schwab or send you a check, it has to be made out to Charles Schwab. That way you aren't um, taxed at that time or there's no penalty of any kind. If it's going straight into another account, an IRA account that has the same uh, tax structure as your 401k, there will be no no, no tax uh, obligations at that time. So that the, either that check or that transfer goes to Charles Schwab where we would deposit the money and then you can invest it, whether you're self-directing and you're choosing how your IRA is invested or you have us do that for you or another financial advisor. Um, you can continue to, you know, strive for some growth in that account just like it is now in your, uh, in your 401k. Um, one of the things that we can look at also to help you decide where things stand is we can use a, a program that we have in our office called Journey Guide. Um, Journey Guide is a really helpful tool where we can plug in all your data. Um, what do you need to be able to spend? What do you have to work with? You know, what's that Social Security benefit? What's that 401k balance? What else do we need to know about the assets available to you? And it will 
allow us to forecast what's called like a probability of success. Um, so what are the chances that, you know, you can live on this income stream or on these assets for the rest of your life and be able to accomplish that spending goal that you have? So if it doesn't look good, then we say, okay, let's look at the spending number or let's look at the income stream or let's look at how these assets are invested. And it allows us to kind of tinker with those different factors and those different options to see what would make more sense. So just for an example, sometimes when you take uh, the assets you've saved and instead of just a conservative or a moderate allocation strategy, sometimes Journey Guide says, hey, try a fixed annuity. Okay, so we plug that in and it increases the likelihood of success. So then we can explore that a little bit further. Okay, does that make sense to carve out a portion of that, get a guaranteed income stream? Does that help you accomplish your goals? And we can talk about those things with you and explain the options. And So Journey Guide is a really cool um, way to do that exercise because it's also kind of like visual. You know, we can discuss it and put it down on paper, but visual it's, it's a visual aid and it gives you like graphs and charts and um, it maybe helps you put your arms around what your situation is. So um, certainly we'd be happy to help you plan and assess where things stand for you. Um, you can contact our office and any of our financial advisors would be happy to go through that exercise and kind of hold your hand through it and help us in any way you would like. All right. Um, so let's see. We've got another email here that we can talk about. This one says, my wife and I started our family business almost 40 years ago. We've been very lucky with how our business has grown, and both my son and daughter-in-law have been with us for the last 15 years. I want to retire. My wife wants me to retire. The kids took over the business almost two years ago, but I'm still working a full week, down from two full weeks every week. I want to go, but I don't want the kids to be left in the lurch. Suggestions? All right. Well, I'm going to just put it to you like this. <laughs> it's time to cut the cord. <laughs> but you don't have to do it all abruptly and, uh, you know, just, uh, just, just, just disrupting everything. We can, we can make this a smooth transition. So my advice is to make a plan and stick to it. Uh, doing anything difficult requires planning and preparation. And obviously this business that has been your life for 40 years, walking away from that is difficult. I get it. You feel, you know, ownership and loyalty and um, you don't want to abandon your son and daughter alone. Well, you can, you can make this work if you prepare. It's sort of like, you know, Gene talks about how I'm a crazy runner, right? So when I'm training for a marathon, it takes like four months of prepare, preparation. I, I have to train. I have a date and a goal and I have to get myself there. So you can do the same thing. So here's some tips I have for you. First of all, write down what you're still doing. You say you're still working a full week. What is, what is it that you're doing? What responsibilities, what duties do you have? And then I want you to set a date goal for when you're going to fully retire. You know, if you say it's four months, say it's six months, even a year. And then after you have that end date, Set some milestones in between now and then for reducing your hours so that you can kind of cut back gradually before you're completely done. And I think what you can do is sort of divide up those tasks that you are still doing over that time frame 
and focus on training and delegating and handing them off in stages. So you pass on a duty and you're available to consult and answer questions about it, but you don't do that anymore. And then you hand off another duty, another responsibility, and focus on transitioning that one, and then you stop doing that. And that way you give your son and daughter-in-law and maybe any other employees the opportunity to learn it for themselves while you're still there, you're still available as a resource, um, but it's no longer your responsibility. I think you'll find that the kids will actually embrace this opportunity and they'll want to support you in your transition as much as you've been supporting them. And it's even possible that, you know, right now you're still doing all that stuff because the kids don't want to step on your toes. They don't want to, you know, invade your space. This is your business and they want to let you do what they think you want to be doing. So, you know, the longer you're there, you might be like kind of holding them back from taking over. They're not going to take over while you're there. It doesn't mean that they don't want to. It doesn't mean that they can't. But if you give them that space and that opportunity, you know, you'll probably see that they'll thrive and maybe do some things, you know, new things, different things. Um, you give them the opportunity to do that. So I hope that that helps you. You and your wife can retire and do your thing and I'm sure you'll still be available to your son and daughter-in-law, but um, let them spread their wings and, and grow too. Good luck with that. All right, so we're coming up on our 9 o'clock break. I just want to remind you that we are expecting a phone call from Major Polito, and I'll be talking with him when we come back from this break. And then after that, we will talk with Frank Rinaldi, a real estate agent with Century 21 Pinnacle. Um, I have some other questions we can answer, some other topics I think you might hopefully find interesting and helpful. So um, please stay tuned. And if you do have a question, um, I'll you know try to get that in in between the interviews as well. So you can still try to give us a call here at uh, 610-720-7900 or send me an email if you don't want to be stuck on hold. And I'll be able to um, to get back to you as soon as we have an opportunity, a little break in the, uh, in the action, if you will. Um, I also just wanted to share that my daughter, um, Juliana, you know, Jean talks about her a lot. She's uh, almost 12 years old. Um, she told me that if I run out of things to say on the show, I could talk about puppies. Because she said everyone wants to talk about puppies. So if I run out of content today... <laughs> <laughs> we'll just chat about puppies. Maybe, maybe Major Polito wants to talk about puppies. Or maybe Frank wants to talk about puppies. But um, I really appreciated that advice from Juliana, so I'm going to keep that in mind. Maybe we can get her on the phone and she can talk about puppies. But <laughs> All right, so um, we have some good stuff coming up, and I hope that you stick with us. I hope you don't miss Jean too much. Um, again, I invite you to call 610-720-7900. Send me an email at alyssa at askmtm.com. And we have more good stuff coming up in the next hour. Thank you. I'm bound to thank you for Give it for your 
name suggestion. <laughs> uh, I like it. Jean's going to be like, what is happening? I leave, I leave for one weekend and they're changing my music. That was a great, great idea. We also got a call suggesting Michael Buble or Neil Diamond. So I appreciate the suggestions. We're going to keep trying it out. That was, that was a good, that was a good start, John. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to more than money. This is Alyssa Young, your host. I'm filling in for Gene Dickinson today, and I hope you've enjoyed the first hour. Uh, we are happy to be here. It is not a very nice-looking day for the last Saturday in August. Um, unfortunately, it's very gray and humid, and rain is in the forecast. Um, but we're cheery and bright here in the studio uh, I am still waiting for a call from Major Polito, so I'm hoping um, he'll be joining us shortly. In the meantime, I did want to tell you a little bit more about those Folds of Honor scholarships. So um, the reason we have um, planned for Major Polito to join us today is um, to kind of promote our radiothon that's happening the week after next to remember 9-11. Um, we are raising money for Folds of Honor, a national organization that gives uh, scholarships to the family members of um, fallen and disabled military uh, service members. So a couple of types of scholarships that they give. There's higher education scholarships, and these are for spouses and children of service members who are either enrolled or planning to enroll in an undergrad program that would give them a bachelor's degree. Um, accredited technical and trade school programs are considered as well. So they're not given to anyone who already has a bachelor's degree, but getting you know to that level would be something that these scholarships would support. And then there's also a children's fund for kids' grades kindergarten through 12 at a private school or tutoring company that's accredited. So you can um, have a scholarship to help with that, um, you know, primary and secondary education. And these scholarships can be used for tuition, textbooks, um, approved fees that are billed by the institution, and also um, like on-campus dorms and meal plans that are billed through the school's bursar office. So um, all of those are eligible expenses that these scholarships help people pay for. Um, they give scholarships up to $5,000. And since 2007, Folds of Honor has given more than 13,000 scholarships to minority recipients. Um, so it says 41% of all recipients represent minorities in America. And so they're trying to help bridge that gap to equality through education. Um, they give about 90% of the money raised, like, goes toward the scholarship. So they're try really striving to keep their expenses down um, that are associated with their, their, their uh, nonprofit so Major Polito um, is an ambassador for Folds of Honor, and so we were hoping to speak with him about his experience with it so far. So while we're waiting for him, um, I will again remind you, you can call me at 610-720-7900 or email me at alyssa at askmtm.com. Um, I got an email from a, a client of ours and a loyal listener who uh, is actually uh, works with Chad, who is here with me. Chad's here in the background. He is so kind to give me some backup and support and just uh, I'm not really flying solo because Chad's here. Um, and so he 
his clients uh, reached out to me to say hi and said that um, I should also talk about tips on how to catch striped bass because <laughs> when uh, my family and I vacationed in Alabama a couple of weeks ago, we caught lots of monster striped bass and um, and Steve shared some pictures of some fish that he's caught where he is in Alabama too. So thanks for that, Steve. That's awesome. Um, I'm not sure that I could give great tips on catching striped bass, except that you should go with a good guide <laughs> who knows where to find them <laughs> in the lake. He also happened to have a great, um, great like radar or whatever it is, uh, like a, a fish finder, uh, so you could see where the, where the fish were at. That was a really big factor. I could tell you, tell you how to fight them, though. Make sure you don't lose them and you reel them in. Even my 11-year-old daughter could, could help you with that. Um, I have a couple of emails we can share while we um, are hopeful to get that phone call from Major Polito. Here's one that says, I am 65 years old. I'm single with no dependents. I'm currently working. My condo's paid off. I have no debt. So far, so good. My 401k and IRA savings total just over $1 million. About 50% is in bank CDs. The other 50% is in two balanced funds, one with Fidelity, the other with Vanguard. About 25% of savings is in Roth. So lots of details here. It comes down to saying, I'm considering retiring in about one year, delaying Social Security until age 70. So that would be four years of being retired before taking Social Security. And using my retirement nest egg to live off of until 70. But this scares me. Not having an income and depleting savings until 70. Little worried. Two reasons to retire. Job burnout after 34 years in a stressful profession. And my desire to care for my elderly mother in her final years so that she can age in place in her home. Financial security is of great value to me, but my heart is telling me it's time to leave work. I would appreciate any quick assessment you might have for me. I do not have a financial planner, and I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania. I learned of your firm through your TV show. Thank you. Um, the TV show that this, I think, woman is talking about um, is probably our PBS show, and we'll be back with new episodes in a couple of weeks. Um, 7.30 p.m. on Tuesdays on PBS. You see Gene, um, he interviews people in the community, business member, business owners, managers, and also answers questions um, on that show. And it's also available online. Um, so this person is about an hour from us. Um, our office is in Lower Nazareth Township. This woman lives in Chester County. So she's seen the show and she's hoping for some advice. So does it make sense for her? to retire at about 66 years old and wait to take her social security until she's 70 and use the million dollar savings um, to live off of in the meantime. So first of all, I'd like to say, I think you should follow your heart, listen to what your gut's telling you or your heart's telling you. Um, but with some planning and some professional guidance to give you some peace of mind and to have, to have a partner um, in this. So, you know, it says you're stressed, you're, you, you're burned out. And we all know um, it's not fun to live feeling that way, but also it's bad for your health. Um, so, you know, really need to take care of yourself. And if you're feeling that way, it's probably best to get out of that situation, you know, the sooner the better. 
Um, and also to be able to give your mom that gift of your time um, and support would be a real blessing for both of you, I'm sure. So I think you would find that very rewarding and you would cherish the time that you have uh, with your mom. And she would uh, most certainly be grateful um, for that time with you. And the, like you said, the ability to stay in her home, that's a goal a lot of people have is um, to be able to live you know, the last years of their life in the home that they've, you know, has been theirs for a long time. So uh, I think you have the right idea, uh, the right intentions and goals here. It sounds great. Um, as far as financially, what's the way to make it work? We would be happy to help you with that quick assessment. Like you said, we call it a free second opinion meeting. Um, we can take a look at what your needs are and then look at whether your portfolio can support your needs and whether it makes sense to delay social security um, or not. So yeah, that's a great goal. You want to maximize it. You know, you're, you're saying wait till 70 because you want your benefit to be the largest it can be. Um, and then that way you'll get the most over your lifetime. Um, but sometimes it doesn't make sense to wait. If you know the whole, we always say you take your social security when you need it. So if we take a look at your picture here and say, you know what, uh, it makes more sense to maybe start it at 67 uh, when it's at 100 percent rather than waiting till you know, it grows beyond that. Hey, you know, if that allows you to do what you need to do and live comfortably, um, no harm done there. So we can sit down and take a look at those numbers with you so that you can get out of your stressful job, spend your time with your mom while she's still here, um, and know that you're going to be okay. Uh, you don't want to have to be worried about, about money. So we can help you um, figure that out and know where things stand, and we'd be glad to do that. Uh, being that you're an hour away, meeting in person is certainly uh, an option, at least at first, you know, or occasionally. You don't have to, every time we talk, it doesn't have to be an hour drive, um, but it's a it's an option. Um, we also do meetings by Zoom, so if you're comfortable with technology or know somebody who can set you up, um, a Zoom call allows us to see each other and talk to each other like a video conference, if you will. Uh, or we can talk on the phone. So whatever you want, we are flexible. Email is a wonderful thing too, so we can keep in touch regularly. You know, make it pretty convenient. Uh, we would welcome the opportunity to help you weigh your options and figure out what makes the most sense. You can call me with your questions at 610-720-7900 or send me an email at alyssa at askmtm.com. If there's something that's on your mind that you want to talk about, I get it if you'd rather talk to Gene, <laughs> rely on his 780 years of experience. He'll be back next week. So if you have a question that is best suited for Gene and you want to hold on to it until then, uh, feel free. I, it won't hurt my feelings. I get it. Um, but in the meantime, I'll, um, I'll do my best to kind of cover for him. Um, I have some more emails to answer, but there's one other topic I, um, thought I would talk about a little bit today because I learned about this sometime over the last few months and, um, it was enlightening for me. And so I thought, Hey, maybe there's people out there who would also learn from, from me sharing this. Um, it's about long-term care insurance and, uh, I thought this would be a good time to talk about it because the email I just answered is about an elderly woman who wants to age in place in her home. And for some people, that is feasible. And for others, unfortunately, 
they can't. Maybe it's because they their medical uh, needs are too great. Their mental health isn't great. They don't have people like this kind woman who wants to, you know, uh, help her mom accomplish that. Uh, they just don't have somebody who's, av- who's available or able to. Um, so sometimes you need long-term care outside of your, your home. Sometimes you need care inside your home. Well, that's also an option. You have somebody come in, a nurse of some kind, um, whether it's daily or, you know, once or twice a week. Um, it all depends on your needs. But uh, as we all know, there's a cost associated with that care. Um, less expensive to stay in your home and have someone come to you for a couple hours or periodically more expensive when you are, uh, you know, in a full-time facility. Um, but if you want to prepare for that cost, um, long-term care insurance is a way that you can um, prepare in advance. And you, something that you purchase in advance and the cost goes up as you get hold, as you get older and the cost also goes up if your health declines. So the way that our um, specialist, our, our insurance specialist describes this is you buy long-term care insurance with your age and your health. So it's more affordable when you're younger and healthier. But there are four channels for insuring your long-term care. One is self-insuring, meaning you pay for it. So maybe you've saved your money, invested your money, and you can just pay the bills. So that's self-insuring. The other ways are private insurance. So there's three different private insurance options. Um, One would be traditional long-term care insurance, and that works a lot like home or auto insurance, where the premium can go up. Um, Then you have a linked benefit policy. That comes with a life insurance or annuity factor so you get that other benefit even if you never need long-term care it's more expensive but it's flexible and there's also a guaranteed premium so that's called a linked benefit policy and then the third private insurance way or fourth channel is known as true life insurance with an accelerated benefit rider and that means you can actually draw money out of it tax-free so you have death and long-term care benefits um, but you also have that accelerated benefit rider so that's a lot of words, um, but I, my goal here was just to kind of introduce it to you a little bit um, so you have a general understanding of how long-term care insurance works. And um, there's different premium options, different underwriting process between them, um, and you can request a free meeting to talk about long-term care and life insurance um, by contacting our office and we will set that up for you, and you can look at the specifics, what makes sense for you, maybe even get some costs. Um, so you're welcome to explore that in more detail with us, but I just wanted to introduce it today while we were kind of on the topic. All right, we have a caller. Stephen is on the phone, so we'll go to the phone now. Um, thanks for calling, Stephen. How can we help you this morning? Good morning, Alyssa. Uh, how are you today? I'm um, great, thank you. Um, I've been better. I've lost my father recently. He passed away. I'm sorry to hear um, that. We're, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of cleaning up and organization and what to do with everything. But um, I found out he left me about $5,000 Okay. coming to me. And I was just wondering um, how to best 
take that money and put it into like my IRA or something so that I don't get taxed. The only frame of reference I have is when I used to work for AT&T. Okay. Which is now the unemployment center. Thank you very much. <laughs> but when when I got my pension buyout check from them, um, the check was not made out to me. It was made out to the credit union where I um, participate. And so because I didn't touch the check, it mm-hmm. went from them to them right into my retirement. I didn't pay any taxes on it. Is there a way I can do that with like an estate of will? Okay. So that I don't get income tax on it before I try and put it into my IRA. So um, you will have to pay inheritance tax in Pennsylvania. Um, unfortunately, that's something we can't avoid. But in order to also um, have some kind of tax benefit, if you put it into a traditional IRA, your contributions to your traditional IRA are tax deductible. So when you do your income tax returns, that if you put that as a $5,000 contribution, which you can because that's within the annual limits, mm-hmm. um, then that comes off of your taxable income and you'll get a deduction on your taxes for doing that. So okay. it's a. So it, I, 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 there's no way to avoid the inheritance tax. No, unfortunately not. Okay, but at least I can uh, not claim it as income. Correct. So okay. yep, that gives you at least a little bit of a you know it offsets it offsets that there and um, the the rates I'm not you know off the top of my head familiar with I think that the inheritance tax rate is probably lower than your income tax rate so I think you'll actually net out um, pretty well there um, because the savings from not having it as you know income the tax at your ordinary income rate should probably um, more than offset what you have to pay for inheritance tax. Um, so that's uh, that would be the uh, the way I would go with it. But of course, if you want to talk about it in any more detail, we can help you with it. You can um, call our office and we can just dig into it a little bit more deeply. But I, okay. I, I think that should work for you. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for the advice. You're very welcome. Thank you for and I, calling. And I, have a, I have a suggestion for your song if you want. Oh, I would love to hear it. Um, well, it's, as you can imagine, the last month hasn't been easy for me, but there was one song um, that made me smile. It's called Boats to Build, and it talks about what the guy's going to do when he retires and, you know, gets to sail around. Oh, I will definitely uh, listen to that song. Um, my my husband's retirement dream is to have a boat and live on a lake where he can keep the boat in the water year-round, so I bet that will resonate with us. So I will check it out. Thank you for that suggestion. And I, I want to wish you um, the best in dealing with everything, not only your grief, but I know it can be kind of messy dealing with um, a state. So anything we can do to help you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, Hang in there. And thanks for calling. Thank you very much. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Um, So we have a few more minutes until our next break. So I'm going to answer a couple more emails, and then we have Frank Rinaldi waiting in the wings to have a great conversation with us about um, real estate. So let me answer this email first. It says, I will turn 65 next May. I've been told that I have to move from my company medical plan to Medicare. I don't want to. (laughs) 
I like my plan, and I expect to work until I'm 70 or so. Is there any way I can resign out of Medicare? I want to know who told you that you have to move from your company medical plan to Medicare. It's not clear here, but uh, unless the employer is telling you they're discontinuing your coverage, you do not need to switch from your company medical plan to Medicare just because you're turning 65. Um, So Part A hospital coverage happens automatically when you reach that age, but you do not need to enroll in Medicare Part B until you stop working and your employer coverage ends. So as long as your employer is going to cover you while you're working, you don't need to pay for Part B. Um, You have eight months from the time you stop working and your employer coverage ends until you have to enroll, but you want to make sure that you've got Medicare coverage the day your employer coverage ends. So let's just say you retire and May 15th is the last day of your coverage, Uh, you want to make sure your Medicare starts May 1st (laughs) so that you're covered for the entire month of May. If your employer coverage ends at the end of of May, then your Medicare coverage should start June 1st. Um, So Part B is the Medicare plan that covers 80% of doctor bills, outpatient procedures, and tests. And then the other 20% you're either paying for out of pocket or you need supplemental coverage to pay for. And that would be an Advantage plan or a supplement. And then there's also Part D, which is the drug and prescription plan. So there's lots of plan options. There are options about which insurance company you use to get those options. Um, And I would recommend that you contact our office to schedule a free consultation with the magician Mark Basak. We were calling him a magician the other day when he was um, meeting with one of my clients, and he he's spark he's just shines with all of his information. So, um, this I hope will help you. You do not need to start it, but once you do, um, you have lots of things that you need to kind of choose from and figure out. Um, we have some resources we can help you with to educate you about those choices. You can find a lot of information on Medicare.gov, um, but I just want you to know, foremost, you do not need to switch to Medicare just because you're 65. As long as you are working and you have employer coverage, um, if that's what you prefer, then stick with it. All right. Um, So we are going to get with Frank Rinaldi after our break so that we don't have to interrupt our conversation. Um, He's going to wait for us for a couple of more minutes. Uh, In the meantime... um, Also on the Medicare topic, I just wanted to touch on something else I learned recently um, from the brilliant Mark Basak. Um, You might know that if your income is over a certain threshold, the premium you pay for Medicare is adjusted and you basically have like a surcharge, if you will. So you have to pay more for Medicare if your income is over a certain threshold. Level. So, for example, a married filing jointly couple with um, uh, adjusted gross income of $176,000 or more is going to pay a higher monthly premium for their Part B coverage. Um, but if your cover, if your excuse me, your income was high last year or two years ago, which is where they look back, and you've retired since, and obviously your income is no longer that high. You can actually file for like a, a 
like a, you can rebut it, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. You can refute it and say, I shouldn't have to pay that higher premium because I've had what's called a life-changing event, which would be retirement. Um, and because of that life-changing event, my income is not that high anymore. And so I don't think I should need to pay that higher monthly premium. So there's a form, it's SSA 44, that you can get online and um, use that to say, you know, here's my actual income now. Um, and so if you had to pay this adjusted premium, um, you can get a, uh, a reimbursement if uh, Social Security Administration agrees that you should no longer be subject to that. So um, that's just one of the many topics that we can talk about um, with Mark to help you understand what your costs would be for Medicare um, so he can look at your actual income and what it was, what it is now, um, give you an idea of what kind of premium you can expect for Medicare. Um, if you would like to schedule a meeting with him, he does have available slots through the end of the year, but they fill up pretty quickly. So. If you're thinking about um, retiring, thinking about starting your Social Security benefit, know you need to figure out Medicare and you have a lot of questions, who doesn't? Um, call us. We'll get you hooked up with Mark. We'll get you on the calendar. You can come in and see him in person, talk to him on the phone, and um, he will help you sort it out. I hear my... Is this my new theme song, John? I hear my new theme song. <laughs> uh, we're going into our uh, break here, and when we come back... Talk about real estate in the Lehigh Valley. Um, Frank Rinaldi is ready and waiting, and we're looking forward to that conversation. We'll be back in just a few minutes. of more than money this morning um i have to say that the theme song john just picked for me is definitely a little peppier we're kind of dancing around here a little bit i like it uh this is Alyssa young i am a financial advisor with mtm financial group and i have been filling in for gene dickinson so far this morning uh for this last segment we have a special guest on the phone i would like to welcome frank rinaldi to the show Good morning, Frank. Hi, Alyssa. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know you've got little kids at home and you're busy, so um, I am grateful for your time. Um, as I told our listeners, we've known each other for a really long time, and we are neighbors. <laughs> but I also yep. know that you are a great resource on this topic of the crazy housing market and real estate investment market in the Lehigh Valley. So I am grateful for um, your willingness to join us and provide your input. Um, I'm going to start out by yeah, telling anytime. a little bit about, uh, you know, yourself, your your experience, your team, and um, anything you want to share about kind of what your specialty is? Sure. So I've been licensed since 2003. Uh, so we're going on 18 years of, of having my license all within the Lehigh Valley here. Uh, myself and my team, 
which consists of uh, you know, multiple agents that are capable of listing and selling, but we do have three designated buyer's agents, um, one of which is uh, you know, very in-depth with investment real estate and property management as well. Uh, the history started when I was 21 as, as just a licensee. At this point, we decided to grow the team a few years ago. Uh, I was also very active in the Association of Realtors. I was president of, at the time, it was LVAR as opposed to GLVR now. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back in 2011, and I was a board of director for the state of Pennsylvania for four years as well. So uh, different different aspects of the industry. Uh, one, I got paid in. The other was uh, labor of love. Uh, the association is a not-for-profit, so all of that time and effort dedicated was to make sure our industry both local and statewide, was uh, running as smooth as it could, especially during the downturn, uh, because I took those roles after the crash. So okay. had a lot of repairs to, to take care of there. <laughs> well, awesome. It sounds like, um, you know, you've been along for the ride over the last, you know, almost two decades, which I say hesitantly because, you know, it age, it ages us. We're at that sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so you're in an interesting time right now where, the median home price in the Lehigh Valley in July was a record high, $275,000. And at the same time, the median number of days on the market was the lowest ever at 13. So you've been doing this all these years and have seen some ups and downs. But how do these current trends compare to what you would call typical conditions in the Lehigh Valley housing market? Like, Have you ever experienced anything quite like this before? So let's let's talk about typical first. I mean, typical markets will show an appreciation. Again, this is kind of a give or take. It's an average over the course of generally a decade. But you're going to see somewhere between two and a half and three and a half percent in uh, increased property value. And again, that's spread out over over ten years. So you may see some spikes. You may see a little bit of a pullback. But that's pretty typical. When I first got into business in 2003 was pretty much the start of that crazy boom that we had the last time. Uh, But this is extremely different. When I was selling back in the 2003 to 2006, seven boom, even I, uh, and I I was not a chief economist. I did not have, uh, I did not have my doctorate in in anything that would give me, um, kind of clout behind it. But even as a 22, 23, 24-year-old, watching what was going on in that market, knowing the credentials of the buyers that were out there, I was terrified. Uh, And there should have been a lot more experienced uh, and older adults, even more terrified than myself, and they weren't. Uh, Back then, the subprime market is, is truly what created that bubble and that burst. The market that we had then, the buyers that were forcing that increase in value and that scarcity were never buyers to begin with. And I don't mean to be harsh in the sense that they can't be buyers, but based on their their credentials, their credit, their money uh, to put down, their debt-to-income ratios, none of that actually fit the bill of what you would traditionally say should have been a homeowner. Mm. Um, There are people literally with 480 credit scores that were getting mortgages, debt-to-income ratios, and this is on gross money. This is money before the IRS gets a hold of you. And, you know, MedEd, once their electric bill paid, they were giving loans above 60% loan-to-value, or I'm sorry, debt-to-income ratio. 
So these people were being set up for failure. And I, I blame the banks in certain regard, but I also blame the individual. If you're going to ask somebody for, you know, a quarter million dollars, a half a million dollars, you, you have to play the adult game at that point. Yeah. Um, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. But that market was doomed for failure. What we're experiencing right now is, of course, money is free uh, at these interest rates. Hopefully, with the help of you and your company, you're getting much better returns for people than the 3% that they would be paying to leverage right now. Mm -hmm. So I consider this free money at this point. With money being cheap, uh, with work from home being widely accepted, we, at least in the Lehigh Valley, keep in mind, real estate is very local. So what's happening here may not be happening in Cleveland, Ohio, or different parts of Missouri. Uh, so I can only speak specifically to our industry here in the Valley, but we have an extremely strong presence between New York City, Northeast Jersey, Philadelphia, Boston, DC, Baltimore. Uh, we are in, in a region where that is all of those major cities are easily accessible. Mm -hmm. So with work from home, we're seeing people coming from Google, uh, that lived in Brooklyn that are coming here now. We, I've had somebody just come in from Cambridge, Massachusetts, right outside of Harvard, because he has the ability, with the exception of a couple times a month, he has the ability to, to work from here. Um, as somebody who lived in Fishtown for 13 years who decided to come back to the Lehigh Valley and get out of the city. So bringing that type of an influence and influx into the Lehigh Valley, of course, is going to cause a scarcity. And since the builders got hurt so bad during that last boom, or I should say bust, but a combination of both, they ran out, they bought all this land, they were ready to develop, the market tanked out, and what they could develop a property for, they would lose money in the sale. So a lot of these companies went bankrupt, new construction slowed, our housing stock was pretty much stagnant for quite a long time. Well, when you bring in all these transplants, of course, there's going to be um, a, a mad rush to the table. Mm -hmm. The difference between the last market and this market is this is the greatest qualified buyer pool I have ever seen. Ah, okay. back, th back then, it was 100% or they were doing what they called piggyback mortgages, which was an 80-20 or an 80-10-10, no money out of pocket, seller assist out the wazoo. Uh, what we're seeing now is 20%, 30%, down conventional loans, no seller assist, cash buyers. Uh, the, the, the quality of the buyer pool is phenomenal. Not to mention their employment has also survived the pandemic. So their income is stable. Their debt to income ratios are reasonable. And um, so the people that are paying these astronomical numbers on these homes are not your walkaway buyers. So the, the reason that the boom in 2003, 4, 5, 6 became a bust was because of the foreclosure market. Okay. These people were doomed for failure. They started losing their homes. When you end up having a 30 to 40% distressed property inventory, meaning short sales or foreclosures, it drags the market down like somebody tied an anvil to somebody's leg. I mean, it goes straight down. The market that we're in now, the people that are buying at these inflated prices are not walking away from these homes. So is there going to be a slowdown maybe in a couple of years, uh, a little bit of a pullback, depending on how things are going economically? But we, in my personal and professional opinion, of course, I'm not a chief economist, but um, unless interest rates double, triple, 
in the next couple of years, I, I don't see us having a bust type of a market. Interesting. Okay, that's a that's a very uh, valuable insight to to compare and contrast the former boom that busted and why this one might not do the same. I mean, I can recall being in the market for um, a new home when we moved, you know, to Bushkill Township where we are now, and the bank telling us what we could borrow, and I was thinking, are you crazy? <laughs> Why yep. would I take out a mortgage, you know, for that amount of money? That makes no sense. Um, fortunately, yep. we didn't accept that and um, stayed within our means, you know. But uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, didn't didn't do that. Um, yeah, you you got terrified when you heard that number. Unfortunately, there was a lot of people that got really happy and excited <laughs> when they saw that number. <laughs> exactly. So um, you've you've already kind of answered some of the questions I had um, for you about, you know who's buying and, and selling. Um, but one of the things I was kind of interested in um, as far as specifically like the, the reasons people are coming in and out of, of the market right now, like besides the transplants. Uh, so we know a lot of people are moving out of the city and into we, we live in a great area for that proximity like you talked about. Um, are there people within the Lehigh Valley who are moving, buying and selling and staying local and and if so like how, how is this working for them you know so there there definitely is a lot of what i call next step buyers uh or next step movers i guess you could say and these are the people that locked down smacked them in the face and made them realize that they were not happy in their situation ah. so you and i both live in bushkill township we have a nice acre and a half uh we got jacobsburg here we have our elbow room i can light a bonfire and have a beer out there and I really don't have to worry about anybody, uh, you know, being too close or bothering people. A lot of people that were in, let's say, townhouses or condos, and I'm not saying these are bad purchases. They they certainly are correct for a lot of people's life situations. But the people, let's take growing families, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, you know, one or two small kids. You're in a, a condo or a townhouse. Then all of a sudden we go in lockdown. You can't take them to the park. You can't take them to Disney on ice. You can't take them wherever it is you want to take them. And you are stuck here with a tiny yard, uh, possibly square footage that isn't suitable uh, to your liking. Now they're saying we need to get out of here. Uh, So there was a lot of people who the lockdowns or pandemic in general gave them a little perspective of what they really wanted in life, possibly for kids. I'm not saying everybody that's making this move does have kids, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of what I saw was people making a change so that, you know, if anything does happen, and they weren't planning for round two of the pandemic, but just knowing what they really desired at that point. And then when they saw the money going sky high on what their value of their home was, it was just kind of that extra kick in the rear end for them to, to start making that move. Now, the hurdles that they're coming into is that they can't find a property. Right. Um, That has been when you asked the question for me to review, which was what is the biggest challenge or if there are any challenges for sellers in the market today? And the only challenge they have, and I mean the only challenge they have, is where are they going next? Some of them may have second homes that they're going to convert to a primary. So they're selling high and they don't have to buy in the same high market. If some people who are making a move down to a retirement area, let's say Florida, um, the Carolinas, wherever that may be, and they're just basically making that transition down there. The people that are buying and selling right now, um, 
it's really all relative. It's relative money. You're selling high and you're buying high. Mm-hmm. It's same thing in, in, a, in a bust market. If you have to sell your home in 2010 and 11 when it was bottomed out, you're not going to get what you want. But guess what? You also get to buy a property at a lower value. So when you're moving money parallel, uh, it's really indifferent, in my opinion. The people making the most money right now are the ones that maybe they're selling a home and moving in with a family member. Um, you know, if there's an in-law scenario for mom who's retired or so on and so forth, uh, or investors. Investors okay. clearly are are cleaning up pretty pretty well right now. Yeah, let, let's talk about let's talk about that. So, uh, the real estate investment market, you're saying like uh, there's opportunity there that um, is better than before this this boom. Tell tell us why. What's what's going from, on there? From a sales side, I myself have some investment properties, and I am going to unload uh, a few of them, but I'm not unloading them to make an income. Uh, These are long-term plays for myself and my wife. Uh, Do we see the values going up and we get a little giddy? Of course. Mm -hmm. But what we're looking to do is move small investments into larger investments. Uh, The one case in point is we have a two-building property on 512 in Bushkill Township, which we are going to be selling. Uh, It is under contract currently. And that asset is worth uh, approximately $325,000. We're selling that asset, and we are moving all of that equity position into a lakefront up at Wall and Paul Pack. And the reason we're doing that is a couple reasons. One, I'm selfish. I heard you earlier today talk about um, (laughs) fishing as a retirement, and that speaks to my language as well. Yes, it does. So selfishly, (laughs) selfishly, I would like a place to keep my boat wet for the season. And I would also like to sporadically and periodically use it, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are going to Airbnb or, or short-term rental that property out. Uh, has a good history, uh, very strong history of short-term rentals this year. And so we know it's an investment for us. So what we're doing is we're taking a $325,000 asset, moving it into a $900,000 asset, and we're only losing two years of amortization. Uh, meaning I bought my property on 512 a couple, two years ago in July, and uh, we are going to take the same 20-year amortization on the lake house, which means I lost two years, but I have triple the net worth when that property is paid off compared to what I have now. Okay. And the, the vehicle that I'm using for that is what we call a 1031 exchange. And that 1031 exchange program allows you to defer taxes on your profits and basically bury that money into your next investment. Um, So again, if I would sell the lake house and not do a 1031 with that property, Mm -hmm. of course, uh, you know, the IRS, the the greatest collection agency on the planet will certainly be coming for their share. And it's not just the profit on the lake house. They will retro collect profit from 512. So it's tax deferred, which allows, if I didn't have all of that money, meaning the tax deferred portion, to put towards the lake house, I would not have the liquidity or at least not comfortably have the liquidity for us to buy that, which would then stifle my ability to reinvest. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a great opportunity. Good for you. Um, now, somebody who's looking to maybe get into you know, investing in real estate now, what's that inventory like for them? And you know, would you have any tips, recommendations for how someone should decide what type of property makes sense for them to start dipping their toe into the water? 
Sure. And I, I talk to a lot of people and I, I actually do Zoom meetings for people for free, um, even all the way as far out as Portland, which I have zero ability to make any money on. But I'm so excited about investment real estate. It, it gets me gets my blood going. Um, so I ended up having an hour long conversation on Zoom with somebody out in Portland. Uh, again, I don't have the ability to sell in Portland. I'm only licensed in Pennsylvania. So it was just, again, kind of um, you know, that labor of love mm-hmm. that I that wanted fun. to contribute. I wanted to help get somebody started. Yeah. So you want to talk to a professional. And my biggest advice is talk to a professional who's actually doing it. Um, there's a lot of agents out there, very good, very qualified. Some of them do have educational backgrounds in investment real estate. But what I've learned is, you know, as soon as that agent actually has their own money in that market, they can personally talk to you about what they did, why they did it, what the mistakes were, and would they choose a different style of property if they could start over again. Um, so talk to a professional first, whether it's Zoom, whether it's in person, whether it's via you know text or email, just to kind of get the ball rolling. You want to start that educational process. Education before action is something I preach all the time because you can't go into something that large without understanding both the good and the bad, because there's plenty bad with being an investor. Um, there's a couple different ways to invest in real estate. One of those ways is um, through a method that I followed in the very beginning called the Burr method. Uh, stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And that's a way for somebody who's not sitting on a quarter million dollars that they're going to invest. The Burr method will allow you to recycle your money. Um, so somebody who, let's say, makes $50,000 a year and doesn't have the ability to save up you know, $100,000, $200,000 a year just to invest inside real estate, mm-hmm. they need to be able to recycle their money. So you buy an ugly property. Uh, I love buying ugly properties. I typically don't buy things that are too nice because I need to make some extra equity off of it. So I buy an ugly property. Um, there are avenues to use private money or hard money to do that. They also will finance your 100% of your rehab costs as well, which is huge. Um, You buy the ugly property, you fix it up. Once it's fixed up, you will then rent it out. And we have have different type of um, applicable macros that we use to make sure your numbers are correct. And at that point, then you go to a commercial uh, commercial lender, portfolio lender, who will then put that into permanent commercial financing. Um, at that point, you have now refinanced your money back out. You don't always get every dime out, but it's not so bad if you have $6,000 left in there, but you've got 30000 back. Um, and sometimes if you really hit that home run, not only can you get all of your money back, but you can pay yourself. So if your loan-to-value ratio leaves you the ability to take extra money out, that's tax-free money, tax-free income. Hmm. Um, So there's been situations where we've been able to take ten dollars or $15,000 out of a property, pure profit on top, tax-free. And and then we are, of course, renting the property, so we're not paying for that obligation, that debt. Interesting. That's that's a great help for people who are, you know, unfamiliar with what that process can look like and maybe – learning how it is actually feasible for them. Um, We have just a few more minutes left. So um, just to wrap it up, I just was curious if you could tell us 
how COVID has affected these opportunities, especially when it comes to rentals. I mean, there was this eviction moratorium. Yes, it's coming to an end, but now is there has that changed that landscape at all? Does it make it any riskier? Are there um, any considerations people should keep in mind on that side if you're going to own a rental property? I think now is a good time to really start getting your ducks in a row for buying in the rental market. Uh, There were definitely landlords that got hurt. those landlords did have some avenues to go down. The CARES Act actually did allow for um, the counties to help contribute to back rent, which I had to exercise with one of my properties. Um, was not trying to screw me over. He did get hurt, did lose his job. Uh, was a great guy, always took care of the property. So we just wanted to work together to make sure that that was taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are tenants who are just seeing this as a free ride. And those tenants either don't care or are unaware that that money is still owed and that money through the courts will be lienable. They uh, have the ability to garnish wages. It will be a collection. They will never be able to buy anything ever until that's cleared up. So a lot of tenants are going to put themselves in pretty much a lifelong um, bad credit scenario, which is, which is terrible. Wow. Uh, but the opportunities will be there. I actually have uh, several thousand letters that are going out to out-of-state multi-unit owners uh, that may be dealing with some bad situations and to see if they would like to liquidate their property at this point. Okay. Um, yeah, some people, especially out-of-state, just don't want to don't deal with it. But uh, the moratorium's tough. The argument from the tenants was the banks have to you know, give you the opportunity to furlough, and that unfortunately is not correct. The majority of investors are using commercial portfolio loans, not Fannie and Freddie back loans, which is what that um, uh, the protection from the government that they stated that they would be taken care of or they would be furloughed, um, or I'm sorry, forbearance, not furloughed. And that did not apply to commercial loans. So the majority of landlords still had to pay the piper. Okay. Well, uh, Frank, we have to wrap up, but I you've given people a ton of information to think about. And what I will do is is um, I'm going to give everybody our contact information. And if anyone wants to reach you, um, I can connect you with our listeners who maybe you know want to explore some opportunities and pick your brain a little bit more. So um, I will put them in touch directly. I thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. I really appreciate you spending part of your morning with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Alyssa. I really appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you all got something good out of today's show. Thank you for listening. If our team at MTM can help you, we would love the opportunity to meet. You can call us at our office in Lower Nazareth Township at 610-746-7007. You can visit us at morethanmoneyonline.com. You can email me or you can email Jean. Uh, Make sure that you take advantage of our free second opinion meetings and all of those great specialists that come into our office to help you. Uh, Have a wonderful weekend and a great week uh, until we join you again next Saturday and Jean will be back. Um, Thank you all for your patience with me and I hope um, you have a wonderful day. Take care.